1: I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford. Massive M&A news this morning. Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. An all-cash deal expected to close in 2023. Activision's CEO Bobby Kotick, who's been under fire for his leadership at a company mired in sexual harassment investigations, just this morning uh, it terminated 37 more employees as part of an internal probe. He'll stay on as CEO for the time being. Kotick and the head of Microsoft Gaming Phil Spencer joined Squawk on the street earlier this morning on what led to the deal.
2: Microsoft has this great long history, like we do, that goes back to the 1980s in video gaming. They have the incredible resources, an incredible pipeline of talent, a, a culture that is aligned like ours for a focus on creating a really great work experience. And so while there, were, there are a lot of other companies that would be interested in a company like ours, Microsoft was clearly the company that made the most sense.
1: Uh, that ninety-five dollar share price, a forty-five percent premium to Friday's close. A deal comes just a week, of course, as you know, after Take Two's eleven billion dollar Zynga acquisition. John, lots of implications for the metaverse, for gaming, and for the overall <laughs> environment of M and A in twenty-two. Yes, yes, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Of
3: course, this has to get all kinds of approval, and we talk about big tech M and A and. Kind of the scrutiny of that, especially with the Biden administration in and, and, and Lena Khan and whatnot. Uh, th- there is no bigger big tech that actually does big M and A than Microsoft, right? Market cap wise, yes, Apple's bigger, but the biggest thing Apple ever bought was Beats, right? Mm-hmm. It was like what three billion dollars, some some small number mm-hmm. by today's standards. So will this fly through? I don't know, but in gaming, this is a. Huge name with a lot of intellectual property at a time when people are talking about not only the metaverse, but cloud gaming and all these possibilities for the future. Microsoft will be in a very strong position, both platform wise and content wise, if this flies. So clear to see why Microsoft wants it. Also, interesting, D, I think that Microsoft is in a cultural position to be seen as competent to take over the mess that Bobby Kotick has made over there at Activision Blizzard, um, that's quite a transformation that Satya Nadella has been bringing Microsoft through.
4: Yeah. And they they talked about this in the interview. And you also see some Activision employees tweeting that this sort of gives them hope that maybe that culture can be cleaned up. In terms of those M&A, John, yes, Microsoft has been incredibly active, but also in the gaming space. Remember Zenimax Media for what was that? Seven and a half billion was only about a year ago. And then there was Minecraft. What a brilliant move that was in retrospect. And that was only two and a half billion dollars. Of course, Carl, this is a much bigger purchase. And I thought something that Phil Spencer said in the interview earlier on Squawk in the Street was really interesting. He said that it's going to offset distribution capabilities that Microsoft doesn't have on mobile devices. He says that the largest gaming platforms out there are the mobile devices owned and controlled, he said. He used the word controlled by two (laughs) companies. And I feel like we're getting a bit of what's going to be that antitrust argument. We're going to be talking about this a little bit later with Julia, I know, as well. But there's so many implications here. And it seemed like they were trying to get ahead of that, talking about the mobile platforms, also the likes of Tencent, which is a huge player in this space we probably don't talk enough about.
1: Uh, Indeed, guys. Uh, Today, it's Activision, Uh, Microsoft. Last week, as we said, it was take two and Zynga. For more on the mega deals, let's bring in Wells Fargo's chairman of global Internet investment banking, uh, Bob Peck. Bob, it is great to have you with us today. Good morning.
5: Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: I guess, are are you surprised at either the price or the aggressiveness of Microsoft in, in the face of what we think is a tougher regulatory environment?
5: Yeah, so first of all, as you know, Carl, we're coming off a record M&A year, almost $6 trillion in global deals that was done last year. All-time record, really beating the previous record in 2015 of about $4.5 trillion, right? The U.S. also set a record doing $2.5 trillion in M&A deals as well. D-SPACs helped a little bit, being about $600 billion of that as well, but just record amounts of M&A being done last year and continuing, going into 2022, this deal being one of the big ones already that we're seeing. I mean, there's a couple different things that are actually driving this. You know, one is clearly still very affordable interest rates. You know, when you look historically, so great environment for that. Two, piles of cash on the sponsor's balance sheets and private equity, as well as the corporates as well. So there's a lot of dry powder there. You saw today's deal being all cash. And then number three, just as technology is changing around us, Companies in tech as well as outside of tech are looking for new ways to engage their customers, new ways to reach the younger demographics, as John hit on new ways to reach them, you know, mobile, whatever environment they want to be in. And what does Web3 and you know, and the uh, metaverse mean going forward? So we think you're going to see a really strong 2022 as far as it comes to uh, more, more M&A.
1: Yeah. Some have taken note of this line from Nadella, Bob, uh, saying he wants to reduce the friction between content, consumption and commerce um, with fewer constraints on distribution. Some argue that's an implied dig at uh, Apple and Google and App Store fees. Uh, Do you see it going that
5: way? Yeah, I think regulation for big tech is going to be a big part of the story going forward. Um, Lena Khan is, is leading over there with a, a mandate to really scrutinize a lot of the big tech players. Now, I also think it's why you haven't seen some of big tech deals in the last year or so because of that increased scrutiny. So, I think any deal that is announced and gets and uh, moves towards getting done is going to have some pretty sound footing there. Uh, to be able to get these deals done and have, you know, sizable breakup fees just in case the deals can't get done. But regulatory will be a big part of the story going forward, for sure, for big tech.
3: Yeah, Bob, as an investor, though, how should you handicap this? Because on the one side, the argument that, that Microsoft seems to be making is you fight giants with giants. Yeah, you got some strong gaming platforms out there. The way to fix that situation is for us to get bigger and open up distribution. But there is an argument to be made. And, you know, regulators here in the U.S. might make it that you just keep everybody from getting bigger. Right. Uh, either break them up or you cap their ability to do M&A. So as an investor, how should you uh, kind of hedge your bets on which argument ends up winning out?
5: Well, what I think is interesting is you're seeing a lot lot of the large tech players really diversify their portfolio, right? From being involved with, you know, OS systems, cloud, um, enterprise, gaming, et cetera, and really playing across the spectrum and not necessarily creating a monopoly or concentration in one certain area. And I think you're going to continue to see that happen as well. Also outside of tech. Look for other verticals to expand more and more into tech. And John, as you and I have talked about before, I think there comes a point in the future where tech as a vertical, you know, sort of becomes archaic, right? As every single company out there will need to have certain tech strengths to be able to compete. So I think you're going to see more and more continue to happen. Obviously, with the stock's reaction today, you can see investors are putting a little bit of an uncertainty on the deal completion. We'll probably see as we get more information on the regulatory side.
3: Okay, I'm looking at uh, Electronic Arts up almost six and a half percent. Take two up a little better than four percent. But who's left out there tech wise that could afford to buy companies of that size and that would likely get the sort of regulatory nod that at least some are hoping Microsoft gets? I mean, I can't imagine that if Facebook or Amazon uh, tried to to buy one of those companies, uh, it would get a shrug.
5: Yeah, well, you got to look outside just internet as well, right? So when you think about you know, the sales forces of the world, the Shopify's of the world, the snowflakes of the world, you know, Microsoft, as you probably well recall, John, there was a time about a year ago where Microsoft was rumored to be looking very closely at TikTok, right? So I think what you're seeing is that tech more broadly, not just consumer tech or internet tech, that you're gonna see these players play to create that portfolio that we talked about.
4: Yeah. So, Bob, it's not just Megatech talking about this and, you know, plans to go into the universe. Disney and Walmart are two other recent names that have been talking in the space. Could we see them do deals and with sort of a better hand in terms of the regulatory front? And as John said, who is there left to acquire in terms of gaming, but perhaps gaming or metaverse adjacent? Some of these software companies are developers.
5: Yeah, I think that's really astute. And you've already seen some moves. Uh, Walmart has made, for example, investing in India with Flipkart, getting closer to e-commerce. They too were also rumored to be around TikTok when that asset was potentially in play. So I think you're right. And to my comment earlier, I don't think it's just a tech vertical consolidation, quote unquote, but more of these other large companies and other verticals thinking about, you know, what does crypto mean to us going forward? What is blockchain? What is meta? What is Web3? How do we think about all these things and How do they impact our businesses, our core businesses going forward? And what moves can we make maybe on a smallish side to just learn more about those areas or maybe on a very big scale side once you realize what you want to do to be able to make sure you are best positioned as those technologies develop?
4: And, Bob, as we're speaking, we're seeing the Nasdaq continue to lose steam. It's now down 2 percent. A lot of these growth names uh, seeing this multiple revaluation. Do you think that we will see more deals as they come down? This was the story certainly with Zenga last week coming down from those Apple iOS changes. More of these growth names become acquisition targets as the sort of macro uh, and macroeconomic uh, backdrop takes place.
5: Yeah, no, it's a great point, right? You had records year, not records, but very strong years last year with the NASDAQ up 21 points, S&P up 27 or so. As you know, the big mega tech names are about 25% of the S&P. And since we've had uh, Omicron come out, basically in the end of November or so, you've seen those names pull back, weighing down about 6% or so. What's interesting there is the names outside those big mega cap names in the S&P are actually flattish. Um, in fact, there's more names in the S&P that are up than down, uh, but those big names have such a big impact on it. But I think you raise a really good point here. As companies sit there and look, what's you know, I think someone said earlier, what's on sale or what's come down or what's become more affordable now, is that now more attractive for what you can do? And, and by the way, can you use your cash, which you have a lot of on your balance sheet probably, but also can you use equity too if your equity has also been strong?
1: Hey, finally, Bob, you know, the knee jerk uh, to the news this morning was trying to place Microsoft in some kind of spectrum uh, of regulatory risk, as if different players have different uh, risk in, from, from regulators in D.C. And we'll find out more from Lena Khan today, I would imagine. Do you see it that way or is everybody sort of equally at risk uh, to having a deal looked at?
5: Yeah, our view is that they're going to take a hard, honest look at all these big deals and everyone's relatively on equal footing. There are some concentrations that the the FTC will have to look at pretty closely, especially if you're already in tech. And therefore, what are the opportunities and risks in front of you? But we think you're going to see very fair, stern looks across any of these major deals. Right. Uh, That's certainly what we expect
1: uh, in the months ahead on this one, Bob. Uh, Appreciate you giving some guidance on it. It's great to see you, Bob Peck. Thanks
5: for having me. Appreciate it.
3: Now, speaking of regulation, uh, the FTC and DOJ are holding news conference, uh, a news conference in less than an hour, laying out a mul- uh, muscular antitrust agenda that could put even greater scrutiny on deals just like Microsoft ATVI. Let's bring in our Julia Borston. Morning, Julia.
6: Well, John, this nearly $70 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard is by far Microsoft's biggest, followed by LinkedIn at $17 billion. And our colleague, Andrew Ross he reports that there is a $3 billion breakup fee. Now, that would indicate confidence that they will be able to secure antitrust approval for this deal. Now, here's how Activision's Bobby Kotick explained why the combined company does not create monopoly power.
2: One of the motivations that we had for a partnership with Microsoft is the recognition of, it's a, it's a big market, but there's enormous amount of competition, whether it's Tencent, who has resources that are extraordinary and a global footprint, or Sony, or Facebook, or Amazon, or Apple, or Google, or Netflix, or Disney. When you think about the race for the metaverse, and for the more influence in gaming in the gaming ecosystem, we've now seen more competition than ever before.
6: We should get a lot more insight into the regulatory chances of this deal at the top of the hour when the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission are holding a joint press conference. They are expected to share their updated merger guidelines. And then we will hear from FTC Chair Lena Khan directly tomorrow on CNBC's Capital Exchange. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern, live on your second screen, it's a screen at cnbc.com slash Capital Exchange. And of course, we'll bring you all the headlines here. And the timing of this deal, I have to say, it's pretty remarkable how it coincides with something else, also today, Piero Omidyar's backed tech oversight project launched its today, and it's all about lobbying for antitrust legislation, part of this really pretty broad antitrust push, John. And I'm curious if you think that after Microsoft went through its own antitrust regulatory issues so many decades ago, if they're better prepared for this, um, they have avoided a lot of the scrutiny that the likes of Facebook and Amazon have drawn.
4: This is a great question, right? We talk often about this, Julia, that antitrust regulation sometimes feels like it's very backward looking. We talk about regulating Facebook for its social networks while it's changed its name to Meta and is already pushing into the metaverse. So I wonder if over the next few days and when we hear from the regulators, if they're going to be talking more about the metaverse to get ahead of some of these issues and whether the big tech giants like Facebook, Meta, Microsoft, Apple are can do these kinds of deals. And I know we've talked about Microsoft being in a unique position, but will that change the calculus somehow for them?
6: Yeah. I mean, I think the real question here is, you know, Microsoft is a giant will it have too much power in the gaming space in particular? It was really interesting listening to Satya Nadella. He did a call earlier this morning talking about how they want to use the strength in mobile games that Activision Blizzard has with King and also bring some of the other titles into the mobile space. And this idea that many more people should be able to play games all of the time, this should be something that should really be far more accessible and especially bringing in some of the big titles off of the console or even off of the desktop. So I think, you know, one thing I'm wondering about here is whether Microsoft's power broadly and whether the fact that they do have teams, which is something that seemed so appealing mm-hmm. um, in terms of bringing the voice and the audio and that whole component to games. Whether that could be a, an advantage or a disadvantage here, and and John, I'm particularly curious because I know you were aware of everything that Microsoft has gone through. If you think that they're better positioned to deal with any of this antitrust scrutiny, because it seems like we could hear about a big push coming up just in you know less than an hour.
3: Yeah, they're the grizzled sort of veteran. Uh, soldier in the antitrust wars that you always get in the movie that's like got all the scars there's like i wouldn't do that if i were you youngster that's who they are now but I, i don't see a lot of likelihood that this sort of flies through without scrutiny particularly because there's this history in the video game space of platforms using titles that they have control over to launch their latest consoles or you know latest i guess cloud efforts for example i can't imagine that a Sony, for example, is going to sit by uh, and sort of let that happen without some amount of complaint. D, um, it, it's, it's in a way reminiscent of, uh, you know, NVIDIA ARM and the scrutiny that that's getting. Here's the chance for uh, a, a strong competitor in mm-hmm. Sony, for example, that's doing pretty darn well with the PS5 and PS4 to say, hey, wait a minute, if this is going to go through, there's a few things that Microsoft is going to have to promise not to do.
4: Right. And on the flip side of that, though, you have got Tencent, right, a Chinese competitor that could, you know, give more reason for regulators to let this go through because it could make Microsoft more of a competitor on that global scale. We have got a lot more on this blockbuster deal uh, for Activision this hour. Plus, the Nasdaq is down now nearly two percent. We're going to have more on the shaky trading in tech to start 2022. Tech Check is just getting started. Don't go away. Check on Zscaler. Morgan Stanley upgrading the stock from equal weight to overweight, but actually lowering its price target from $330 to $325. Bullish on the cybersecurity firm's cloud security platform, given the broader transition to hybrid working. Also says they see the potential for accelerating revenue growth. The upgrade comes as Morgan Stanley releases its top cybersecurity picks for 2022. This morning, Zscaler joining names like Palo Alto and Okta on that list. Shares getting a boost today on those calls. And Carl, a lot of the folks we talked to still love this cybersecurity space despite the sell-off in software.
1: Right, indeed, D. Meantime, uh, 2022 has kicked off with some big stock swings and today is no exception. Got a significant sell-off here. NASDAQ, as you can see, down almost 2%. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joins us with a closer look at some of the moves and I guess, Mike, some of the damage that has already been done late last year. Absolutely. Starting uh, back in the fall, really.
8: And, you know, there's been some complication in this rotation that people have been expecting, predicting, applauding, positioning for back into the value in cyclical sectors. And you see that today if you look at the uh, financial ETF against software. Now, software was kind of first to roll over, led to the downside within technology, within the growth area. And as you see, they sort of completely decouple back uh, in November or so. Software trying to get its footing today. It's not underperforming at this point. Stocks like Service now getting a little bit of relief. Uh, we'll see if that matters. But the financials, you know, rolling. They just got a little bit over aggressive on the upside, it would seem, relative to even pretty decent earnings. Goldman's missed today, exacerbating this feeling that there is a valuation ceiling on the traditional cyclical sectors that maybe didn't apply to growth. So if you look at the overall Nasdaq NASDAQ 100, It's gone from, you know, 22 times forward earnings before the pandemic up to 30-ish, 31. Now it's down maybe 27. And the big question is how much more has to be drained away? Because in the most aggressive sectors of tech, the profitless companies, that has been deflated to a fair degree. Never know if it's all done, but it's definitely uh, sort of had its reckoning before most of the big caps have, as they are today.
1: You know, Mike, I was struck uh, just how much we're flailing on where inflation is headed. You got Goldman talking about wage inflation hopping onto what uh, J.P. Morgan said on Friday. And yet a downgrade of gap on the prospect of deflation in apparel in the coming quarters.
8: Right. Um, And and so that's the fix that the the market feels itself. And I'm not sure it's a genuine, uh, you know, pinch, but it's one that's perceived right now, which is economic deceleration into people in advance of a Fed meeting really starting to try and get in front of what they believe to be a pretty aggressive Fed move. I think it's really important to remind everybody the market has done its tightening. It's rationing capital on its own, while the Fed has done literally nothing but talk at this point.
3: All right, Mike. Thank you, Mike Santoli. Meantime, we have been talking M&A all morning. Here's another name on the move. Citrix. In Ron reports, it's in advanced talks to be acquired by Elliott Investment Management and Vista Equity Partners. Stock first popped about a month ago on headlines saying Elliott and Vista were in the early stages of putting together a bid. We will continue to watch that story. More tech checks still ahead. Stay with
0: us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until
6: the Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m.
0: The office was shocked.
6: (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it
0: less scary with Canva.
6: (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
0: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is.
1: Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Obviously, stocks are continuing their volatile ride lower this morning. The Nasdaq is getting close to a three-month low. Names like Peloton, AMAT, Lucid are leading to the downside. Microsoft, of course, buying Activision Blizzard in the latest blockbuster deal to hit the street. We'll get a lot more on that in a moment. But first, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel.
9: Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Treasury yields surging as investors expect more rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. The yield on the 10-year has hit a two-year high, and the two-year note is above 1% for the first time since February 2020. Stocks, as Carl just mentioned, down pretty much across the board except for the energy sector and the rally in those stocks getting fueled by rising energy prices. U.S. crude briefly broke above $85 a barrel and set a seven-year high. So far this month, the S&P energy sector is up 18%. Goldman Sachs, meantime, leading the Dow and S&P lower. Strong investment banking was unable to make up for shrinking stock trading revenue. Charles Schwab is down 5% on top and bottom line results that were just below forecast. That stock, however, still up 7% this year. And homebuilder sentiment is down for the first time in four months. Material and labor shortages significantly lengthening construction times for new homes. However, cinnamon is still at high levels in New York State. Manufacturing activity decreased for the first time in a year and a half, with new orders posting a sharp decline. You're now up to date. John, I'll send it back to you.
3: Rahel, thank you. Now let's get back to the deal of the day. Microsoft wants to buy Activision Blizzard for almost $70 billion. Here to discuss serial gaming entrepreneur, investor, CEO of Irreverent Labs, Rahul Sud. Uh, Rahul, good to see you. Uh, can you imagine a world in which uh, Call of Duty is an Xbox exclusive? I mean, is Sony going to allow that to happen? It, what, what do you think are the chances this deal gets done with no conditions?
10: Uh, I, I think the chances of the deal getting done are quite high, actually. Um, but with it, no know, conditions. Well, I mean, there, there's there's a number of reasons why. You know, they they have a um, there there's. First of all, in terms of Microsoft's, uh, uh, you know, technology, I mean, they have a, a massive metaverse play here with their with their uh, HoloLens. And, you know, it's it's way less isolating than, you know, typical VR. Uh, they've got uh, like a, a ton of subscribers on their Game Pass and they want to grow their Game Pass with more content. Um, and, you know, t- to be honest, when you think about the assets like Diablo, Overwatch, Call of Duty, even World of Warcraft and Starcraft, just using those assets across uh, all types of entertainment and 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 using the characters within the metaverse, there's a there's just a massive opportunity here for Microsoft and Activision. So I I, I think they'll get it put through. I mean, they obviously
3: have very talented people working on this, so I, I think it's going to do very well for them. You you sound excited about this, which I find interesting on multiple levels. One, some people might know uh, you co-founded a, a PC gaming company way back in the day that HP bought. Two, uh, you were a Microsoft executive and sort of the the founding leader of the venture arm there. And now you've got this AI on a blockchain uh, company startup that you've just uh, launched. What would be a threat to your efforts to innovate in this space? Because it doesn't sound like you think uh, a big gaming company that also has a platform is a threat at all.
10: No, look, on the contrary, I think uh, Microsoft getting big into this metaverse space is important. And the reason I say that is Facebook is, um, you know, taking a big uh, sort of developer approach on the metaverse with their Oculus. Uh, They're inviting developers to come and and create content within this, uh, within their new metaverse. And really, um, the the creators aren't getting paid what they should get paid. Microsoft has the ability to, uh, to, to take their investments and invest it in the cloud. Uh, you know, invest in Azure, a lot of the future games are going to be doing rendering on the cloud. And there's really no better company position to uh, to build that than Microsoft. And by the way, um, you know, Phil Spencer was, uh, he was actually one of the people that hired me into Microsoft. He has really grown into this incredible leader. I really think that, hmm. you know, under Phil's leadership, they can clean up the culture and they can really make uh, Activision in a, in a much better uh, position than they are today. Um, you know, he right. leads with empathy He's uh, he's just he's very good at what he does and I and I believe they have a strong vision a strong financial vision for where this is going to go but beyond that just the, uh, the the combination of this with hololens is no joke.
4: Right. I think you're, you're alluding to a cultural vision as well, Rahul. Um, we talk about the scrutiny that megacap tech is under. Uh, we spoke to Bob Peck about this earlier on in the show. Who else could do a deal of this size outside of what we typically think of as mega tech? Could it be a Disney or um, a Walmart? And how come we're not talking about Netflix doing deals like this with their stated push into gaming?
10: Everybody's copying the Netflix model, you know, the, the idea that they want more subscribers. Uh, you know, Game Pass is a, is a, is a big deal for Microsoft. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of these companies want that recurring revenue, uh, you know, going forward. Um, in terms of who else could play in something like this, I, I would have no doubt that perhaps Facebook was even bidding on Activision, you know, as well. Maybe other companies, um, you know, pushing the, the, the price up the way it is at the moment. I can't imagine it was just Microsoft looking at this. So. Um, You know, so I I think there's there's probably a number of other companies looking for these types of deals, looking for content deals, um, you know, and uh, and having the ownership of these assets is very important in the future of the metaverse.
1: Rahul, I mean, within Microsoft, obviously gaming is going to be a favorite child here uh, for the foreseeable future. What does it do to other business units uh, and the optionality that you might have been betting on uh, at, at in cloud or in hardware or something else?
10: Well, I think, look, th- this is pretty incredible that Microsoft has created two divisions now in the last year. Like, I think they created a security division recently, and now they're creating this Xbox gaming division. This is kind of like a, a departure from where Satya Nadella started. He, was, he, he, he changed the culture entirely within the company, and now setting up these divisions really tells you where they're investing. And, um, you know, investing in the cloud is such a big deal for them, and Microsoft, Xbox, pushes their cloud investments to another level. Um, you know, it's going to push companies like NVIDIA and ATI to create more GPUs. GPU rendering on the cloud is is going to be absolutely massive. And, you know, the, the future of gaming, where it's going, um, you know, with uh, with AI and, um, you know, and, and having like these artificially intelligent characters within the game, I think, and even rendering on the cloud, I think this is kind of like Microsoft's enabling the future for developers like us to, you know, to, to build on. Like we're actually building on Azure and, um, you know, and, and perhaps they uh, you know, these investments are, are helping to push the technology so that companies like us can exist.
3: Yeah. Well, from the beginning, Satya sort of carved out gaming as an exception. So I'm going to focus on enterprise with the consumer downstream, except for gaming. And people were like, what are you doing buying <laughs> Minecraft? Well, now we a, know. It was, uh, Rahul, it was a brilliant
10: move. They, they paid $2 billion for it. And yeah. looking back, it was a steal. Everyone <laughs> was asking Phil the same thing. And. You know, it was a steal. They, they've 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 uh, they've really thought ahead. You know, and and they know exactly where they're going. So I, I'm excited about
3: the deal. Roll suit. Thanks. Thank you.
1: As we've mentioned, uh, don't miss Lena Khan, FTC chair, in her first on-camera interview since taking the helm. She's going to sit down live tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, with our Andrew Ross Sorkin and Kara Swisher of the New York Times. You can find out a lot more at cnbccom exchange. And we'll be playing and debating a lot of that tomorrow right here on Tech Check. We're back after this.
3: Welcome back. IBM CEO Arvind Krishna giving some insight into how global customers are adjusting their logistics strategy in 2022. I spoke with him Sunday in New York on stage at the National Retail Federation's big show. He said customers are asking how to build more flexibility into their approaches.
11: How do I begin to look at not just how do I order, but how do I hook that up to my supply chain so I can begin to get the, the supply in according to my demand signal? How do I begin to be predictive when I look at where it's coming from, not in each channel by itself, but by combining all of the channels? Mm-hmm. We have a few clients who are beginning to look at, can I begin to use my entire physical footprint as a delivery mechanism? And as you look at that, is that about time? Or is it about optimizing inventory? Or is it about getting rid of, what is the number that's often talked about, 20%? Actually, I think that probably underestimates it. Maybe 25% of all inventory often gets massively marked down or is not sold or is undersold or goes someplace else. So how do you begin to optimize all of that when you do have these supply shortages is something that's going to become critical.
3: I also asked him about NFTs and whether he sees value in the underlying technology. He does because of basic economics.
11: I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's uh, impossible uh, to copy physical goods because nowadays with all the techniques we have around 3D printing and scanning and reproduction, you actually can, including getting to reproduce layers of paint on things, right? <laughs> so, so I think that there is a value in NFTs because people like originality and people like when there is a scarcity. Back to economics 101, I mean, like if you can reduce the supply, then there is value in those. But now you have to get deeper. So getting away from the fad, how do you ensure that it is indeed rare? How do you think there is a market for it? So I think it's way too early to tell whether all this will be true. But if I go based on other markets like that, there is a market. And that market is measured in the tens, maybe the hundreds of billions.
3: Hundreds of billions. Uh, D, that's a lot. (laughs)
4: <laughs> like how he said getting away from the fad as well, yes. uh, John. Meanwhile, Apple, another bullish call this morning. Georgia Bank hiking its price target to $200, forecasting more than 15% upside for the tech giant. Catch the full call at cnbc.com pro. We're back in just a moment. Stay with us.
1: Billionaire investor Chamath Hapatia, no stranger to controversy. Now he's in some hot water over comments on China. The discussion took place on his own, all in a podcast after co-host Jason Calacanis brought up President Biden's foreign policy approach to China and their treatment of Uyghurs. Take a listen. Nobody,
12: nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, OK? You, you bring it up because you really what? care. And I think it's nice nobody that cares? you care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling, you, really you, a hard, wait, wait, I'm telling you a very hard. I'm saying you personally don't care. I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth. Okay, of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. Okay, uh, of all the things that's... that I care about, it is below my line.
1: In a tweet last night, he tried to walk things back a bit, saying, "And re-listening to this week's podcast, I recognize that I come across as lacking empathy. I acknowledge that entirely. To be clear, my belief is that human rights matter, whether in China, the United States, or elsewhere." full stop, after which, guys, he went right back to tweeting about his latest SPAC, kidney disease company Pro Kidney. Talked about um, his past, John, um, his family of history as, as a refugee. Obviously, a lot of discussion about his ties to the Warriors and the myriad of relationships that the NBA has with the Chinese interests and how difficult that is to separate. Uh, it's, it's a tough,
3: honest moment, I think. I mean, Chama speaks in provocative sound bites He can't help mm-hmm. it. Uh, that's part of what makes him popular. But I think the underlying question is for investors today, can you be heavily invested in China, uh, in companies economically dependent on China, and honestly say you care about these other things? To what degree is this ESG stuff yeah. marketing? And to what degree is it really going to impact where people mm-hmm. put their money? So yeah, statements get walked back, et etc. But where are these companies actually putting their money money, and do they believe that they're having an actual impact on policy in China? Do they care?
4: Yeah, and it's it's one of just one of the things that investors and you know CEOs, business leaders have to look at when doing business in China. When I lived there, we called it the three T's as well: Taiwan, Tibet, Tiananmen. These are also sensitive issues with a lot of history that businesses need to navigate. Uh, so Chamath Hapatia, provocative indeed, uh, and we're seeing sort of the repercussions play out on Twitter from the Warriors. Uh, and certainly, it will continue despite his tweeting about the latest spack. Meantime, guys. If you can't get enough Tech Check content, uh, our audience should tune in on our live stream after the show. We're going to be talking all things gaming and metaverse with Second Life founder Philip Rosedale as he returns to the company as strategic advisor. That's at 12.30 p.m. Uh, 1230 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, live from our Twitter page, CNBC at Tech Check. Don't go away.
3: We are now in the fourth quarter of today's tech check, continuing to track the sell-off, the Nasdaq lower by more than 2%. Dom Chu, what's going on? So that pullback now, John, has brought us to a level where we are entering
13: that so-called correction phase again, where the markets pull back by about 10%, specifically with regard to the Nasdaq composite overall. From those record highs, again, that pullback is now down roughly 10% from the record levels that we saw over the past few months. Now, you compare that with the S&P and the Dow that are down below, more about 4 to 5% from the record highs that they've seen. So very much more about the NASDAQ composite, a big focus these days. As for what's driving things lower, if you look at some of the worst performers within that composite trade in the NASDAQ, it very much is the semiconductors, specifically applied materials, microchip technologies, as well as NVIDIA and advanced micro devices. You can see some of the worst performers out there. I would say that NVIDIA down about 2 percent is an outperformer compared to some of the other ones out there in that chip industry. So keep it on those chips. And if you are looking for someplace that's actually working right now, there's not a lot of green in the S&P 500. However, if you want to check out some of the overall moves, check out what's happening with some of the so-called value cyclical trades, right? We want to take a look at some of the stocks like Deer, That's outperforming today. Also, some of the other names out there with regard to the industrial complex, Freeport, McMoran, Exxon Mobil outperforming as well. So keep an eye on those. I'll send things back over to you.
4: And Dom, thanks very much. We'll continue to track that sell off. Meanwhile, I want to bring you some news on a company in the quick commerce space. This is a space that has attracted a ton of VC capital in recent years. GoPuff is one of the biggest players here, and it was last valued at $15 billion in its last fundraising round. It is expanding into private label products, starting with bottled water, followed by other household essentials. Here to discuss the move, GoPuff co-founder and co-CEO, Raphael of Raphael, it's great to have you. Uh, I wonder, is this a move to differentiate you guys from the likes of Uber and DoorDash and delivery? This is an industry, quick Commerce, that is known to burn through cash. What does a private label do for your margins and eventually GoPuff's profitability?
12: You know, Deirdre, thank you so much for having me. You know, we're really, really excited uh, for our entry into private label. Uh, you know, we're launching 100 SKUs across the home essentials, snacks and drink category. Really high quality, affordable SKUs that our customers have been requesting. And as we looked at internal data, 80% of of customers were looking for, uh, you know, an affordable, high quality private label assortment. And the flavor profile within uh, the of customer is a little different than kind of the national average. Sure. So we're launching things like habanero barbecue almonds, everything seasoned cashews. And I like to just remind everyone, right? We've been doing this for eight years, right? We've been launching new categories and uh, new geographies uh, for a long time. We created this instant needs category. And we, you know, in the the very beginning, uh, we didn't really raise any money. For the first two years, we really spent nailing the business model before scaling it, building kind of best in class tech, best in class infrastructure, and then the operational firepower to really extend our lead as the leader in this instant needs category.
4: Yeah. And Raphael, certainly you guys captured a lot of market share sort of quietly in the space. Um, As you look to an eventual IPO, I wonder then you say that you're sort of different than the other delivery companies. How should investors value GoPuff? I remember when Uber went public and they tried to tell investors that they were the quote unquote Amazon of transportation. That's what they wanted to go out as. But the market didn't really buy that. Two years, more than two years later, they're trading below their IPO price. Why should GoPuff be treated differently?
12: You know, we have a lot of respect for Amazon, right? I think Amazon has shown that the vertically integrated model is the model that wins long term for consumer demand and uh, and like customer overall customer satisfaction and profitability. And while we share that same kind of tenant with Amazon with vertical integration, uh, we are very different, right? We created this instant needs category, as you mentioned, kind of from a market share perspective, right? If you look at third party data; you go up a seventy three percent share uh, in the instant needs category here in the U.S. And as you guys may know, you know, we opened up in the U.K. in the last couple of months. We had a soft launch in uh, in France, and we're really playing to be the number one player uh, globally, not just here in the U.S.
4: Raphael, I know you can't give us any specific figures, but I wonder what that profitability picture looks like for you guys, what the unit economics are, and if that is more like an Amazon versus, you know, an Uber.
12: Yeah, you know, as, uh, as I mentioned before, right, we last eight years, we really spent a lot of time nailing the business model before scaling it. So before we started opening up a whole host of buildings and opening up kind of new geographies, we really focused on the unit economics and delivering positive contribution margin. That's why if you look at our comp markets, we have really, really strong unit economics. We have positive contribution margins in our comp markets. And it kind of gives us all the confidence in the world to continue to reinvest in the consumer experience, to continue to reinvest in technology and kind of open up infrastructure on a global scale.
4: Well, Raphael, thank you for being with us. We hope to talk to you again soon. That's GoPuff co-founder and co-CEO, Raphael Ilishayev.
12: Thank you, Deirdre. You should
4: girl. also note that GoPuff is a CNBC Disruptor 50 company, and CNBC is now accepting nominations for the 10th annual Disruptor 50 list. To nominate your company, scan the QR code on your screen or go to cnbc.com slash disruptors for more information. John?
3: Yeah, and in the meantime, Snowflake shares are almost 30% off their highs. William Blair says now's the time to buy, citing the company's better than expected growth last year and the competitive moat around multi-cloud offerings. Tech is back in a moment. One more thing before we go. 2022 expected to be a busy year when it comes to big tech regulation. Just moments away from a press conference with antitrust head Jonathan Cantor and FTC chair Lena Khan, Elon Moy joins us now with what's ahead. Elon?
7: Well, John, this will be the first time that we're hearing from both of these two regulators. Together, they are expected to talk about how their agencies will approach mergers going forward. Remember, just after Khan took over the top job at the FTC, it revoked the vertical merger guidelines that were developed during the Trump administration. And the White House is also encouraging both the FTC and the DOJ to enforce antitrust laws vigorously, including looking back at prior mergers. And that means the agencies have their work cut out for them. The boom in m and activity is straining the FTC's resources. Now, they is a proposal floating around on Capitol Hill that would dramatically increase companies' merger fees and boost funding for the FTC and the DOJ. But that bill is currently in limbo. Meanwhile, you know who does have big money? Big Tech. They are flooding D.C. with cash right now, Facebook was the biggest spender over the first three quarters last year, dropping $14.7 million as it faced criticism of misinformation, censorship, whistleblower hearings. Second was Amazon at $14.4 million. Google and Microsoft each deployed about $7 million. Apple, nearly $5 million. Now, we are expecting fourth quarter lobbying numbers soon. So, John, the dollars show you that big tech is taking these threats seriously. Back over to you.
3: It's such an interesting backdrop, this uh, Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal for nearly $7 billion proposed right before this hearing. In the past, Lena Khan has referred to um, merger reviews that didn't perhaps uh, result in changes or stipulations as missed opportunities. Uh, How do you think that might affect uh, what we're going to hear today?
7: Yeah, well, I don't expect that they would address the uh, Activision merger in particular. Certainly, they're going to stay away from naming specific companies. But, you know, we all know what their sort of long academic history has pointed to. And as I said, the White House itself has called specifically on the agencies to look backward as well as look forward. So that's going to be a time-consuming, resource-intensive endeavor. Um, We'll have to see how they're able to muddle through it.
4: Yeah, certainly, Elon. Thank you very much. And as we wrap up the show, guys, the Nasdaq is down about one and two thirds of one percent. A lot of the growth complex continues to get sold off. Carl, you see the ARK ETF down nearly three percent, adding to those losses today in the Nasdaq. Once again, an underperformer as we watch rates.
1: Yep, Uh, ZScaler is managing to get some mileage out of this upgrade uh, this morning over at Morgan Stanley, up about four percent. And of course, uh, we're going to hear a lot more about the banks in the morning with the B of A uh, and Morgan Stanley. But for the time being, uh, the top five of the S and P gainers right now are pretty much all gaming related. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays
7: at eleven a.m.